0: Well, good evening, everyone. Good evening, great to have you here. Hope you're, uh, you're hanging in there. I'm seeing a few people with some, some homemade fans going on. It is pretty warm in here, so if at any point you need to grab some water or you need to, I don't know, stretch your legs or whatever, feel very free. I won't take it as an offense if you, you, know, if you get up in. If you walk out the door, then I might be offended by that, but you know, it's okay, I'll, I'll get over it. But um, Yeah, so great, to, uh, so great to have you here. And uh, as always, I want to start with a question to get you thinking, especially on a, on a hot day. And the question I've got for you is this. Who is that friend, who is that one friend who will tell you how it is? Who's that friend who will just tell you straight up how it is? The person who, when, you know, you've got that new outfit that you're thinking of buying, and they they kind of, they, you show it to them, and they're like, mm, nah. Or when, you know, you're thinking of uh, starting a new job, or uh, maybe dating someone new, and and they're like, Mm, I'm not sure that's the best decision for you to make. Or maybe when you, you just got back from work and you're just moaning about your, your boss and, you know, or some colleague that's doing your head in and you just want someone to moan with and they're like, wow, well, yeah, it doesn't sound great but you know, I'm not sure it's quite as bad as you are saying. Who's that person who'll tell you not just what you want to hear but what you need to hear? Who's that person? In Proverbs 27 verse 6 it says this. The wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. Or in another translation, it says, the slap of a friend is better than the kiss of an enemy. Now, we could all say, yeah, 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 I agree. You know, I don't just want people to tell me what I want to hear. You know, I'm up for, for people calling me out on stuff. But the truth is, none of us like being slapped. No one here likes getting a slap. I remember the first time I was slapped. And yes, it was the first time, and it happened multiple times, especially during my my teenage years. And this happened when I was 11 years old. And I was pretty nerdy, well, very nerdy. I was very uncool, but I was very confident. And I was especially confident because at the age of 11, I had discovered the secret of flirting. I discovered it. I found out. It was simple. Basically, if you want a girl to like you, you just have to make fun of them. That's it. Just make fun of them, and then a girl will like you. I learned that, I learned that. So um, I went to, uh, well, I, th- I thought that was the case anyway. So I went to, with my new knowledge, I went to a disco. And uh, I'm at the disco, kind of scoping out the galleys, just wondering kind of who's, you know, who's, who's the, the one I can choose, and set my sights on, on one in particular. And uh, I kind of get to work on my new strategy and start just, you know, checking out a few insults, just kind of see it, how it lies in... She gets annoyed. I'm like, great, this is working. Like she's getting frustrated. She's getting annoyed. This is, you know, what people said would happen. This is a good sign. Great, great, great. So I'm like, well, I need to up my game. So I need to up my insults. So I kind of increase my insults. I'm insulting her more and more and more. She's getting more and more annoyed. And eventually it got to a point where I said something pretty bad and she just slapped me across the face. And I remember just trying to kind of play it cool like I wasn't in absolute agony, which I was. But then I kind of casually and then sort of sprinted over to the toilet. And I remember looking in the mirror at this disco, and I could see four fingers and a thumb printed on the side of my face. I can picture it vividly. Now, it wasn't an easy lesson to learn, but I was grateful for that slap because I learned an important lesson that day. And all of us need loving people in our lives who'll give us that gracious correction. Now, maybe not necessarily a slap, but someone who'll call you out when you need calling out will say the hard things and sometimes say the things you don't want to hear but need to hear. And that's basically what James, the author of the book we've been looking at for this past month or so, is doing week after week. I don't know if you've found this as we have been going through the different weeks, the different talks that we've had. There's some weeks that have been pretty painful, like a little bit probing. Like some weeks he's saying, you know, a lot of you guys are just talking the talk, but you don't walk the walk. How can you say you love the poor, yet treat them like that? Or people, you know, just say, my words aren't that important. Yeah, I might cuss people out and gossip a bit, but it's just words. It's not a big deal. And James said, no, what you say matters. So every week he's given us a challenge, and to be honest, if, if you were trying to start a religion, a lot of the things that James says wouldn't be the kind of thing you would include in your, in your scriptures. See, James is, is saying lots of, of quite provocative and quite painful things at times. See, for me, I don't know, if I was trying to start a religion, probably say things like, God just, he just wants to make you happy. He just wants to, you know, bless you and give you everything you want and, you know, just kind of do, do you, do your own thing, and God is going to give you everything your heart desires. Just be a good person and good stuff will happen. And there's a lot of people, a lot of politicians, a lot of, unfortunately, preachers and pastors, who will tell you that message. But the problem is it doesn't line up with life. See, when you hear that message over and over of, you know, just, you know, life is going to be good if you're a good person and, you know, kind of good things will come back to you, karma, all that sort of stuff. Life happens and we see that actually bad things happen to good people and, and then good things end up happening to bad people. And so it doesn't line up with actual experience of reality. And so James isn't just interested in telling us what we want to hear, tickling our ears, saying, you know, this will be an easy to digest message. He wants to tell us the truth. And that truth actually, whilst it might be hard to hear, is really helpful for us. So we're going to be looking at James chapter 5 and verses 7 to 12. If you've got a Bible, turn there. If not, the words will be up on the screen. And as we're reading through these verses, I just want to uh, encourage you to look out for what's the theme that keeps coming out over and over. What's the one word that James keeps repeating? So here you go, James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient... Is compassionate and merciful what's the theme what's the the word what's the message that James is trying to get across to us patience patience a message that not one person in this room (laughs) wants to hear I mean let's be real if you have the choice the two choices are either the thing you want getting it in the future or getting it now which are you going to choose what's your choice? Every single time it's be, I want it now. See, we live in a society that increasingly is becoming an instant society. We want things ASAP. We want them now. We hate, one of the worst things is, you know, just waiting for that loading bar to come up. Like, I hate it when I'm watching something on Netflix and it's like 15%, 35%, it takes about four seconds to load it. I'm like, come on, surely technology has got to the state where I can just click and play by now. I was in my well, I won't say where I was. I was on Facebook the other day in a small room, and uh, the signal in this room is not very good. And uh, it, it's just frustrating. I was trying to load up someone's photos, and it just wouldn't load. And I shouted at my phone. And we live in a culture that wants things now. We want our food delivered by some cyclist rather than having to cook it. We'll just get arrived when we arrive. We want fast food. We want McDonald's. And look, I'm not, I'm not here to judge. Anyone who knows me knows I love a good McDonald's. In fact, I always carry McDonald's vouchers in my wallet at all times. They're always on me. It's that and my debit card, those are the essential things I have in my life. And as you can probably see, they're falling apart because they've seen a lot of use. And no, you cannot have one unless you want the fillet of fish voucher. Because who eats the fillet of fish? Anyone? Any fillet of fish fans? Don't. Come on, Chris has raised that. You can get out, mate. If you're a of Fish guy, no one here, please. Who eats that? eh? But we want that. We want it now. We want it instant. But the problem is we become so obsessed with the destination that we forget about the journey. See, we're so interested in what we want at the end that we forget that actually God might be wanting to do something during the steps that it takes to get there. See, for a lot of us, we're like, well, I'd love, I'd love to be a more forgiving person. I had that sermon the other day about forgiveness, and I just love to be more forgiving. And maybe you think, I just, maybe if I go to the front and someone prays for me, and I just kind of get a forgiving spirit downloaded into me, just, it'd be nicer if it's just nice and quick, quick prayer done. But in reality, what often happens, is, in fact, what always happens is, We say, I want to grow in forgiveness, and God says, Oh, cool, that's great. Here's the kind of the truth, the verses on forgiveness. Read up on that, great. And now, here's some people who you're going to find really hard to forgive. Start learning. Or we say, Yeah, I really want to be more compassionate. I see see kind of all these people who love the poor and uh, uh, helping the broken. I want to be more like that. I want that heart. And God said, That's great. Here's the countless verses on helping the poor. And the people who, you know, you might find hard to get on with. And then there's some people over here who are, are broken and maybe you find hard to get on with. And go, go practice, go learn with them. The problem is that takes time. And we don't want to wait. We want it now. But God says there's power in the process. So be patient. The journey is as important as the destination. And James says in verse 8, establish your heart. Why does he say that? Because he says troubles will come. So he was speaking to people in churches where he knew that persecution and pain and all sorts of problems would be coming. So he says, establish your heart. What does that mean? It's embrace yourself. Stand firm, because trials will come, but you can survive them if your life is built on a solid rock. Stand firm. And he gives two examples of things that we need to stand firm in. First of all, when people persecute you. If you look at verse 10, he says, Take the prophets. Now the prophets were people who in the Old Testament were sent by God to send a message to his people. And so they would say things like, okay, you've, you've completely mistreated the poor. You're just running rush on all over them. You need to care for the poor. This is so important to me. Or he'd say, you've turned your backs on God. You've forgotten all that he's done for you. Turn back to him. Now what, how did it go when the prophets did that? Were people like, yay, that's a great message. Yeah, we're up for that. No, they were persecuted. Many of them lost their family. Their friends turned their backs. Sometimes whole nations just rejected them, and many of them lost their lives. And what James is saying is, if you want to be a person of influence, you're going to face opposition. And many of us but would say, I'd love to have more influence. I don't know about you, but for me, I think I'd just love to, to have an opportunity to speak into difficult situations and, you know, in, in, in friendships in workplaces and, and even in the nation to be able to say things that can bring good. And maybe it's the same for you. And if so, James is saying, with influence comes opposition. And we will face persecution. Listen to what it says in Hebrews about the prophets and what happened to them. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they may rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And it's not just the prophets who have faced persecution, but people throughout history time and time again, when they wanted to stand up and say, you know, I'm not just going to see what's going on, I'm going to say something, have faced persecution. Look at someone like William Wilberforce. Back in the 18th century, Wilberforce became a Christian and it completely changed his view of everything, the way he viewed the whole world. And so he looked at slavery, the thing that was the cornerstone of building the mighty British Empire, and he said, how can we, how can we treat men and women and children as possessions? How can we, as, as you know, saying we, we believe in God who made man in his image, yet we treat people as mere items? And when he saw that, when he had God change his worldview on everything, when he changed his view on the, the value of humanity... He fought. He didn't just pray. He didn't just say, you know, I'm just going to kind of hope things change. He fought for an end of slavery. And how do you think that was received? He was fought bitterly. The backlash was massive. He was mocked. He was taunted. His closest friends often rejected him. Our nation said, slavery is a thing that's made us great. Why would we stop that? Yet he fought and he fought despite the opposition. And it's not just people like the Prophets or Wilberforce. It's people like you and me. Maybe in your workplace, there's a culture which increasingly, you know, I don't think this is that healthy. Maybe just every lunchtime, everyone's gossiping and bad-mouthing people. And you're like, you know what? I can't really take part in this. Or perhaps you feel like you should actually challenge it. And there could be a good response. There could be. But it may well be a backlash. Maybe you're and someone asks you a question on something about what you believe in, and the temptation would be, well, just kind of dodge the question or kind of fudge the answer. But you decide, you know, I'm going to say what I believe to be true. And that might go down well, and it might not. And there might be a persecution, a backlash, a response, which isn't easy. And James is saying, stand firm. And this is going to become more and more of a real issue for us. And I think it's been fascinating for me just kind of stepping back from world events and and just kind of uh, media chat and social media and just seeing how more and more and more we're talking about tolerance. Yet it seems like we're showing it less and less and less. We've seen it this week, haven't we? The leader of one of the major political parties stepping down because he's not able to see how he can reconcile being a Christian and also hold a public office. Now, not all of us will face the same challenges and scrutiny as Tim Farron, but whether you're someone who wants to stand up for truth in the Houses of Parliament or at your local pub, there's going to be opposition and there's going to be challenges. And James is saying, stand firm. But what he does also say is, Change will come. He says, the coming of the Lord is at hand. That means that we may see change in this life, and it may not be until the next. But we know that change will come. Stand firm, because God is with you, and he's in promise, good will come. Now, James is saying all these things. Maybe you think, you know, he's saying it a bit glibly and flippant, stand firm. But he knows what he's talking about. He understands persecution. Many of the authors of the Bible were killed for what they believed, including James, who was stoned to death for writing things like what we're reading this evening. And yet, despite all the persecution, the message they shared exploded across the world. Why? Why? Because it's not just the message of a few kind of crafty guys who are trying to create something and invent a religion. Because the words they shared, the reason they exploded is because they are the words of God. Not the words of man, but the word of God, which is true. And so we can stand firm and be confident because God is with us and his words are true. Secondly... James says to stand firm when things don't make sense. It tells us to look at Job. And that's helpful because had he just talked about the prophets, we'd say, well, you're kind of talking about suffering and persecution. We get kind of the source of why that happens. We get why, you know, if I'm being persecuted, we understand that a little bit. But with Job, he focuses on suffering when things don't make sense. And the story of Job is this. is this guy who was, it describes him as upright and righteous. So basically, he's like the nicest, the most generous, the most giving, most solid guy. And we kind of see them behind the curtain. We hear a bit about his life, and then we see behind the curtain. And Satan, the devil, comes to God and says, Look, at the end of the day, the only reason that Job is like he is, the only reason he worships you and, you know, he's this amazing person It's because you blessed him so much. That's the only reason. And God says, no, it's not. He's like, and you, you can put him to the test if you want. So that's what happens. And Job one day is kind of hanging out, and a messenger comes to him and says, Job, Job, Job. Bandits came and stole everything you have. Everything has been stolen, your livelihood, all your riches, all your possessions, gone. And then no sooner has that message been delivered, another comes, says there's been a storm, and it's knocked down one of your buildings, which all your kids were in, and every single one has been killed. How do you think you'd feel in that moment when you got that news? How do you think you'd respond? We've seen tons of images this week on our screens of of families who, or individuals who have lost everyone in their family in the fire. We've seen picture and picture, message after message, of the grief and the horror that they experienced. How would you feel in that moment? When we look at Job, how did he respond? It says, Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head. It's absolutely devastated. Then it says this, And then he fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. How did he respond like that? Because let's be real, most of us wouldn't respond in that way. How is Job able to to give that that response? Because one of the biggest objections, one of the biggest challenges that people have with a Christian faith is how can a loving God allow suffering? How is that possible? And, you know, we could have kind of a whole talk just on that question alone. And there's the, the, the kind of two elements of the logical argument and the emotional argument. The logical argument basically goes along the lines of, If suffering is to happen, we should understand why it happens, for it to to be of of value, to be good. And actually, that's only been something in recent times that has been held by people in opinion, actually just in the West over the last few hundred years. Historically and around the world now, most people understand that if God is real, then he's omniscient, he's all-knowing. And so naturally, there'll be things that happen that we don't understand, but he does. But for most of us, that's not the issue. We're not going to get into the philosophical debate over it. For most of us, it's the emotional element. It's like, well, okay, I, I, I get that there could be a reason, but I just, I, I can't see one, and this just doesn't feel right. And even with Job, see, we, we get to kind of see behind the scenes of what happens in his life and why God allowed it to happen, but he had no idea. And even at the end of his life, It says, I mean, it's this amazing thing where it says he got double everything he had beforehand. Bigger family, bigger property, bigger everything. Yet still, you can't tell me that at the end of his life, he still didn't grieve over the children that he lost. He still didn't have questions about why God allowed that. Yeah, he could say, well, it led to this, but surely God could have just blessed me that way without having to take away all my kids, all my possessions in the first place. And for many of us, we're looking for answers to suffering the honest answer is sometimes we just don't understand. And in fact, we shouldn't try to find reasons where there are none. Sometimes it just comes down to having to trust, which feels a bit like a cop out, but it makes us rely on God and that he's, he's true to His word. That as we read in verse 8, that God is compassionate and merciful. I love this quote from from a preacher who says, the truth is that when it comes to suffering, if we do not go to our graves in confusion, we will not go to our graves trusting. Explanations are a substitute for trust. Sometimes things happen that just don't make sense. A few years back, well, not a few years back, when I was growing up, which is quite a few years back now, um, me and my neighbours, we were super tight like we were really, really, really close and a lot of people say, yeah, me and my neighbours hung out like that's kind of, uh, you know, but my neighbours we were really close, like to the extent where they stopped knocking on our door when they came round, like they would just come in the back door which was unlocked and you go down on Saturday morning and there'd be Tom in the lounge watching wrestling and everyone else is asleep in the house like that was our neighbourhood, like that, it, was, it was amazing, every summer it'd be bike rides and water fights and going down the park and every winter it'd be football and playstation and this was back in the day when you played computer games with someone and you were actually in the same room this wasn't like you know kind of online with your mates this was in the lounge together and when you lost it wasn't just some like abuse down the, the headset this was your mate chucking a controller at you like back in those days where you actually hung out together and we were we were really really tight and uh, there was this one kid who joined our friendship group uh, when he was quite young and he was quite shy so he didn't actually tell us what his name was So he just named him Jimmy and that stuck for years and he just that, he's always been Jimmy and Jimmy Jimmy was kind of like a little brother sort of to me in many ways and I remember I went off to university I um, I'd come back for like the summer holidays or Christmas holidays and who would be waiting in my lounge? Jimmy always not because I told him I was coming home or what time it would be but he'd found out from my mum and he'd been like waiting in my house for half an hour for me to arrive and to hang out. So Jimmy was, yeah, a big part of my life. And, and then I remember about five years ago getting a call from him and uh, I couldn't really make sense of what he was saying. And uh, he said, uh, I'm in the hospital. I was like, what's going on, mate? What's going on? And I, well, basically I was, I was out on my moped, and some driver didn't see me and just plowed straight into me and I, I flipped over the um, the car, my helmet's completely crushed, they said I should have died and basically I'm, I'm high on morphine, and I was like okay that that makes sense now and just kind of all these mixed emotions, like, first of all, it was comical, I mean, it was hilarious just hearing him talk, talking gibberish, but at the same time, I'm just kind of so relieved that nothing worse happened, and, and just kind of, but at the same time, concerned and trying to work out why, I mean, he's going to have surgery, and he's going to have to have all sorts of plastic surgery, and all sorts of things happen, and just trying to work out why to a 17, 18-year-old boy does this happen, but relieved that God could use it for good. And then a year ago today, exactly one year ago today, I was sat having my breakfast, all suited and booted, about to go to do some wedding photography. And uh, I get a text on my phone and it says, uh, Jimmy's been in a car crash, and he's died. And I, it, it just, it, I thought, this has got to be a mistake. I, and I just kind of shut down to it. I thought, I can't, I can't, no, that, that can't be right, no. I just, and I, sh- and I shut down to it. I went off to this wedding, had to be very professional and smiley and get the job done. And, you know, it's a special day for you guys. And I'm kind of just being very professional. And then got to kind of the afternoon, the speeches are over, everyone's kind of doing their own thing. And I, I just couldn't, couldn't take it anymore. The text has been streaming in. By this point, it was, it was obvious it wasn't, wasn't a mistake. I just I just ran out the venue and just ran into some field. It was in the middle of nowhere, just ran into some cornfield and just looked up at the sky. Just said, Really? 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 Jimmy, three-month-old baby, twenty-one years old, really God? Really? No. No, 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 no. And just went on, tears, weeping. Just went on, and just and a year on, one year today. You might think, "Oh, do you kind of understand it now? You understand what happened?" I'd say, "I understand it less today than I did a year ago." Now that I've seen the fallout and the mess and all the the stuff that's gone on as a kind of collateral damage of what happened, I don't. I do not understand why it happened. But there's one thing I do know for certain and it's that God cares, that he cares. As it says at the end of the passage, that he is compassionate and merciful. See, I don't know if you've been through grief, but one of the kind of not great things that can happen is is when people in good motives will say to you, oh, I'm so sorry what you're going through. I can completely relate. I know what you're going through. And then they'll proceed to tell you a story of something that's happened. And you're like, nah, that's not even close or remotely similar. Not that you say that. You say, oh, thank you. And obviously there's good heart, there's good intentions. You don't understand. But one of the most helpful things is when someone comes to you and says, you know what, I've been there. I know what you're going through. And then they share their story. And you're like, wow, yeah, you, you do know what I'm going through. You have been to the pit I've been to, you have walked through that valley. And it's such a comfort to know that someone gets it. And that's the same truth with God. See, for many of us, we can have this image of God that's far off and distant and doesn't care about my life. God to show us just how much he cared, just to show, to show us just how much he understands. He didn't just stay up in heaven in some easy life. He came to the earth as a man in Jesus. He knew what it was to have pain. He knew what it was to be rejected by, by the people nearest to him, to be shunned, to be betrayed, to experience loss. And I think in one of the most powerful stories in the Bible we see him going to the tomb of Lazarus. This is one of his best friends who had died. And he arrives at the tomb. What does it say happened? Jesus wept, wept. The God of the universe wept over one person. He didn't just say, well, look, guys, you know how this whole life things work. Everyone dies. I told you about that. You know, life is fragile. You know, these things happen every day. You know, that's just part of life. No, it said he wept. The God of the universe wept over one man, showing just how much he cares. In Psalm 34, it says, God is near to the brokenhearted. And he saves those who are crushed in spirit. In 1 Peter 5 it says, Cast all your troubles on him because he cares. Whatever you're going through, whether heartache or hardship or grief you're experiencing, Jesus gets it and he cares. We don't have all the answers, but we can still say, like the hymn writer, It is well with my soul. That hymn was written by a man who just lost his four daughters whilst they were crossing the Atlantic. It is well with my soul, he wrote. Whether your health is deteriorating, and it doesn't seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel, when you know that God cares, you can say, It is well with my soul when you're still scrambling for answers and still have now, when you know that God cares, you can say it is well with my soul. When work is getting harder, when you lose the thing most precious to you, when you know God cares, you can say it is well with my soul. And we need to remind ourselves of this because we can easily lose sight of who Jesus is. And that's why we take communion. That's why we do communion, and we should do it regularly, because it's a reminder that Jesus gets it. See, when we we hold that bread, we remember his body that was broken, the flesh ripped from his back, his hands nailed to that cross. When we hold the cup, we remember his blood that was shed, his innocent blood that was shed for you and for me the pain, the anguish he went through. He gets it, and we remember that when we take the bread and the wine. And So we're going to do that tonight. As we do that, we're going to remember that one day, every tear will be wiped away. Because of his pain, we no longer need to know pain. Because of his suffering, there will come a day where there will be no more suffering. Because of his death, we never have to taste death. So be patient, stand firm, be full of faith because God is good and good will come.